Good afternoon. So by round of applause, how many were impacted by the sessions today? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we hope today's uh, summit has been impactful, has made uh, some inroads, and that you leave today with some tangible resources uh, as we continue this journey together. Uh, as Kathy reminded us this morning that we are family in this movement, and it is our commitment to you that we will continue this journey together over the next 12 months, that we'll meet back here in February of 2021 uh, to continue this together. I do want to bring some reminders uh, to, your, to, your, to your mind. Um, Specifically, two websites that I want you to keep in mind uh, as we leave today. Number one is leading our learners specifically to the mental health uh, resources. That's where we'll be housing all of the mental health resources that we'll be gathering together as a group. You'll send that information that you had that Kathy referred to in her speech this morning to studentwellness at ohioschoolboards.org. Those two websites are going to be the ways that we communicate with each other to make sure that we stay in the fight together and do the best things for kids in regards to mental health and social-emotional learning. I also want to remind you that your certificate of attendance and the survey for the summit will be emailed to you. So be on the lookout for that, your certificate of attendance and the survey. And we really do want to have your feedback uh, in regards to the sessions, in regards to uh, the things that have happened today. We think today was a great day, but we always want to do better. And we want your honest feedback on how we can improve uh, this time that we have spent together. Uh, also want to take a quick moment. Uh, there was a lot of hard work that went behind making this day possible. Uh, our CEO referenced the 20 organizations that supported us, but I do want to take a moment to specifically thank the OSBA staff uh, and the hard work that they did to make this day possible. Uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes things that you all will never see, but if they had not been done, this day would not be a success. So I want to take this moment uh, to thank the OSBA staff. I particularly want to give a shout out to Heather Lance uh, for her untiring work to make this day possible. Thank you, Wanda, Lori, Scott, Jeff, everybody at 8050 North High Street. Thank you so much uh, for your work today. Can you help me give them a round of applause, please? And now uh, to our closing session speaker, uh, Dr. Thomas Meridata. Thomas Meridata is currently the Jim and Susan Swartz Fellow in Christian Studies at the Harvard Divinity School. Meridata previously served as the President Emeritus of Bright New Leaders for Ohio Schools. Uh, Bright is a nonprofit statewide public-private partnership funded by the Ohio General Assembly. It's an innovative collaboration and joint venture between the Ohio General Assembly, the Ohio Department of Education, the Ohio State University, and the Fisher College of Business. Prior to his role, Mayor Dada served as the Children's Defense Fund National Director of Education Policy. Mayor Dada leveraged over $12 million in public and private sector support of CDF initiatives to improve the well-being of children, families, and communities as a spokesperson in the media and policy, make, policy maker in communities. He served as the CDF President's leadership team. He also managed the National Freedom Schools Education Initiative boosting improved reading proficiencies for 200,000 students in over 102 cities and states. Prior to joining the Children's Defense Fund, Mayor Dada served as superintendent of several urban school districts in Michigan, where he was named Michigan Superintendent of the Year by the National Association of School Administrators. A quote from Dr. Mayor Dada, I always thought that education was an extension of what I've been called to do. 
my colleagues and I strive to hear with clarity the voice of the divine and to discern the ways in which to advance equity, advance equality, promote freedom, and be a catalyst for restorative social justice. It's a calling. At this time, I'm excited and honored to welcome to the stage Dr. Thomas Meridata. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And I've learned that because as an educator, I believe that one of the things that we have to do is change the narratives that children face every day. They are named ill-equipped and we have to rename them geniuses. They are named not adequate and we have to name them more than enough. And so one of the experiences that brought me to education, and I've often told this story, is that in seventh grade, I was in a classroom with the teacher, and she was the teacher, and everyone knows the teacher that I'm talking about. She was the teacher that didn't take any guff. She was the teacher that when she walked down the, the hall, it was like the parting of the Red Sea that when she came down the hall, you could hear her shoes clicking on the hardwood floors, and you knew that you better get your stuff together. And so in her classroom, she was writing sentences up on the board, preparing, of course, to diagram sentences, and of course, she was the only one excited about that uh, that was in the room. But while we were there silently waiting for her to start, we could hear someone in the hallway, and there was a young man who had been a bully in the school, seventh grade, and you could hear every expletive that you could imagine. And there were combinations, quite frankly, of expletives that were being put together that I had never heard before. I didn't even know that some of those words went together. Um, but you could hear this in the hallway, and we thought when Mrs. Paul put her chalk down, that tells you how long ago this was. When she put her chalk down, and she turned, and she got ready to walk to the door, we were just thinking, we were just shaking our heads, thinking, oh my God, he's, he's going to get it now. But instead, what happened is something that changed and transformed my life and made me want to be an educator. She went over to the door and she said, young man, she said, please come here. He came over to her and reluctantly, of course, and she took his face and she put it in her hands and she said, oh my God. She said, has anyone ever told you how beautiful you are? She said, oh my God, no one has your eyes. She said, your eyes are just mesmerizing. She said, has anyone told you how handsome and how striking you are? And so he took his face and he took his face and just removed her hands off of his face. And he said, get your hands off of me. He said, you ain't none of my teacher. And she said, therein lies the problem. She took him by the hand. We were in seventh grade. He towered over her, but she took him by the hand and she told all of us, she said, young people, I want you to please stand and form a single file line 
And she said, and we're going down to the counselor's office now. We marched down three flights of stairs until we got to the counselor's office. And when we got there, we stood because we knew that we better not make a sound while we're in the line in Mrs. for Mrs. Poe's classroom. She goes in, she comes out, she has his hand in her hand. We march back up three flights of stairs. And then she says to him, she said, please sit right here. She said, this is your new desk. She said, and I know that the system has failed you before, but it's not going to fail you anymore. She said, please turn to page 15 in your book. She said, because I know that you're going to love our lesson today. She said, we're working on vocabulary. And she said, and I know the vocabulary is one of your favorite subjects because she said, I heard what a vast vocabulary you had in the hallway. Every single day in that classroom, she renamed him. Every single day, she said, you are the brightest student that I've ever met. Every day, she said, I can't wait to hear your answers. Every day she said, you are going to triumph over adversity. And she just kept speaking into his life every single day. This young man who years before had been left, had been deemed damaged, that no one seemed to care, became a star student and I watched the transformation happened in the classroom with Mrs. Paul. Fast forward 20 years, that young man, his name is Antoine Green, and he is an electrical engineer with General Motors. He has a master's from MIT. And I say to you, what can't we do with our young people? What can't we do? That's what is powerful about this room when you have board members, when you have educators, when you have superintendents working together. Because very oftentimes you don't think that the word and that the vision that you have is going to make a difference, but it has a ripple effect. Because Mrs. Poe stopped that day, she said, right here and no further. She drew the line. She drew the line in the sand that said, your life trajectory is going to change because I care enough about you to tell you who you are. One of my great mentors throughout my lifetime was Marva Collins. She trained me. I did my student teaching under Marva Collins. And Marva Collins said that every single student had potential. They were all capable. They could do anything. But we had to equip them with the skills so that they would be able to go out and transform the world. After leaving Marva Collins' training, I became a teacher. And I remember there was a young man that was in my classroom that he would constantly take the test and not do very well on the test. And he, got a t he did a test and got 55 on the test. And at the top of the test, I wrote, you are a genius in waiting. And he took the test home to his father. And he said, I have to show you something. He said, I'm a genius in waiting. And his father said, son, do you realize that you got a 55? 
on the test. He said, but that's okay. He said, I'm a genius in waiting. He said, because Mr. Meridata told me that I was in great company. He told me that Einstein also had failed the first several times before he became Einstein. And he also told me that, you know, there were a number of other folks that had failed before. He told me that Michael Jordan failed many, many times before he became Michael Jordan. He said, so this is just my first failure. He said, but I'm a genius in waiting. Every day throughout the course of that year, the next test, he became better. The test after that, he became better. The test after that, he became better. And then he graduated as an honor roll student. That student called me many years later and said to me, and I, and I was asleep, you know, in a stupor from teaching all day. And 11 o'clock, the phone rings. And he says, is, is this Mr. Meridata? And I said, yeah, yeah, who, yeah, who, who is this? And so he tells me who he is. And he says, I just need you to know that I still have every paper that you wrote to me. He said, you told me I was a genius in waiting. He said, but there was another paper that you wrote to me and you said at the top of it that you are enough. He said, because I had written to you in one of my journals and I told you that my family was dysfunctional, that my father was on drugs, that my mother was incarcerated, that I didn't know whether I was going to be able to make it. And he said, you just wrote back three words and you said to me, you are enough. And he said, and I thought about that. And he said, and I thought, what if I really am enough? He said, I want you to know that I would like to send you a ticket to my graduation. Because he said, I'm getting ready to graduate from Johns Hopkins Medical School. And you told me that I was a genius in waiting. And you told me that I was enough. He said, and I believed you. And he said, and every single time I took the test, he said, I thought to myself, what if that delusional teacher was right? What if he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself? And what if I am enough? He said, every time that I took, went to a class and I took a test and it was difficult and it was challenging, he said, I thought to myself, what if I am enough? What if it's true? I owe it to myself to see where this lands. And so the fact that we now have a medical doctor, we now have a, an electrical engineer, that were headed for destruction, but because someone had a vision and someone spoke into their life, someone spoke life into their very condition, that you were able to change the trajectory of what they were able to become. It lets us know that our words have power. I am the product, just like many of the students that you serve in your communities. I grew up in Detroit, 
I grew up in poverty. I grew up in the Brewster Projects. I saw people that were OD'd, that were in dumpsters, but I went to school. And the saving grace for me is that I had grandparents and that I had parents that they kept us out of trouble because we were in church every single day. We went to church Monday. We went to church Tuesday for choir rehearsal. We went to church Wednesday for Bible study. For Thursday, we had another prayer meeting. On Saturday, we cleaned the church. And then on Sunday, we had church again, all day Sunday. So that's what kept me out of trouble. It kept me out of all of the challenging situations that were in my community. But my great-grandmother, who was a figure in the church, and we called them church mothers at the time, my great-grandmother was a domestic. She had a sixth-grade education. And she used to say to me every day, she said, baby, you're going to be a doctor. And I said, oh, this poor woman, bless her heart. She doesn't even know that I don't even like the smell of the antiseptic that they use in the hospitals. I'm not going to be a doctor. What is she talking about? And she had a big pickle jar where she would keep money in it. And she would cook for people during the times in which she was not at work. She would sell dinners. And when she would sell dinner, she would take that money and she would put it into the pickle jar. And people would ask her, well, what is that for? And she would say, well, the baby going to be a doctor. She said, that's for the baby. And I thought, oh, oh, gosh, what is she talking about? This is just ridiculous. And we would see her sometimes with holes in her stockings. We would see her sometimes where she had to take her dress. She had washed it so many times where she had to turn it inside out. Where she went to a job every day where people, the, 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 the folks that she worked for in that house, and very oftentimes when I get to this part, I can't do it without shedding a tear because they used to take the scraps from the meals at the end of every day and put it in a big plastic bag for her. And you would open it up and you could see pieces of chicken which had been eaten. You could still see the lipstick around the drumstick. You could still see the roll where someone had taken a bite out of the roll. And they would pack it up and give it to my grandmother and say, here, this is for you and your family. You could take it home and enjoy it at the end of the day. My grandmother worked for that family for 40 years. My grandmother went without a new dress, new coat. She went without many of the necessities of life. And every time she saw me, she had a vision. She said, the baby going to be a doctor. When my grandmother passed away, I hadn't thought about that pickle jar at all for years and years. And 
I had never even thought about anymore that my grandmother said, the baby gonna be a doctor. At my graduation, when I graduated with my doctorate degree at the University of Pennsylvania, my mother brought up to me an envelope. And it was an envelope which had not been opened that she gave to my mother. And she said, when the baby becomes a doctor, I want you to give this to him. I opened up the envelope. And in the envelope it said, Baby, if you're reading this now, she said, I want you to know that mama is in heaven. She said, I knew that I wasn't going to get there with you. She said, but I want you to know that every sacrifice was worth it. She said, I saw a vision and I knew that you were going to make it to your destination. And when I opened up the envelope, there was $30,000 in that envelope. And I thought about for 40 years how many dinners she would have sold, how many sacrifices she had to make because she saw a vision and she believed that I would be able to do what it is that I am doing right now. And when I stand before you, I stand as a prototype of the young people that you serve, and the reason why it's so powerful in this room, because you are the people that can make the difference. You are the people that can set the vision. You are the people that can say that every single student that we have here, whether they come out of poverty, no matter what their demography, no matter where they're from, no matter what has been predicted about them of doom, no matter what circumstances they've lived in, they get an opportunity to grow, to stand tall, and to be a champion worthy to be wrestled with. You have a very high calling as board members because you get an opportunity to set an agenda to make sure that the money goes where it's supposed to go so that every single student, whether they live in the projects or whether they live in a palace on high, get an opportunity to become what God intended them to be. Each day that you walk into the room and you set the standard, I want you to think about the children that you serve because I want you to think about them being the geniuses that are in waiting, the geniuses that are about to blossom, the geniuses that are about to become what it is that they've been destined to be. Once we realize that there's not a child that has been born, that made it through the birth canal, that is a mistake, then we stand to our place in history so that we will be able to draw the line and say right here and no further that we are going to put young people on the trajectory of success, that we will fight and we will swim upstream and we will do whatever it takes to create systems that could create more folks that will go out and change the world. I challenge you, for all of you that have children, for all of you that represent the neighbor's children, for all of you that represent me, 
For all of you that represent Antoine Green, who was once a gangbanger, but who is now an engineer with General Motors. To all of you that represent the young man who I told him that he was a genius in waiting, that he was a genius waiting to happen, waiting to be born, waiting to be birthed. For all of you, you have the power to create systems that will escort them into their glorious advent. I say to all of you that with your hands and with your mind, you can do anything. With your hands and with your voice, you can transform the world. You get an opportunity to lay the blueprint for how young people are going to go out and they are going to impact the world globally. You know, very oftentimes we don't think about hatred. And hatred is the septic waste of the soul. But when you love children and you love them enough to say, I'm going to give you everything that you need so that you can be a springboard to success, then you become the people. You are the 911. You become the SOS. You become the folks that take the chargers and that resuscitate them into their great future. I want you to know that what you do is important. Very oftentimes, many of the challenges that we see in the world, they just seem like they're so monumental that the little piece that we're doing, it doesn't matter. But I want you to know that when Tobias Williams, who is the doctor who graduated from Johns Hopkins, when he goes and he saves a patient, it's because of the investment that's been made in his life. When the young man that Mrs. Poe said, right here and no further, I'm going to teach you as if my life depends on it. When she does that work, she's now changed the trajectory of not only him, but she changed the trajectory of his children and his children's children, and so on and so forth. And so I ask all of you to take courage. Take courage knowing that you are enough. Take courage that when you are making policies that are going to impact and is going to change the lives of young people, that even when you have to swim upstream, that you'll swim upstream that even when you have to stand alone, that it's worth it to stand alone, that to not fight at all. I challenge you, fight as if your fight depends on it. I challenge you to not be the most popular person in the room. I challenge you to not always feel bad because you are the dissenting voice. But I challenge you to say, that there are some children, their lives are hanging in the balance, and I have to do what is right in order to give them a life that is worthy of emulation. I laud you for the work that you do. It is your time.
This is our moment. When we see problems, we don't run from the problem, but we run to the battle. We run to find the solutions. We run to create new opportunities for young people so that they can thrive. This is your time. And there's no time like the present to create systems that work for young people and not just adults. Systems that transform young people into geniuses. Systems that transform gangbangers into engineers. Systems that transform children who were failing into medical doctors. Systems that take kids who have not had the type of encouragement that many of your children have had and you let them know that they are enough. And it takes the mental health practitioner, it takes the teacher, it takes the superintendent, but it takes the board member that says, this is the type of system that we're going to have. It's going to be unrivaled. It's going to be a city that sits upon a hill that cannot be hid because every child will come here and no child will be lost and no child will be left behind. This is our time. This is our moment. I challenge you and I give you the decree that when you think of me, when you think of people like me, when you think of people that had hopelessness, when you think of people that weren't equipped, when you think of people that did not have all of the advantages but someone believed, I want you to do the work for the people like me. I want you to do the work for the people in our community that did not choose who their parents were going to be. They didn't choose what their home life was going to be. But the fact that God allowed them to be born, they have to make a difference. You have the key, and I want each one of you to have the vision to unlock the potential of every single child that comes into your district. And know that this is your moment, so you stand proudly and you take on the mantle to do the work. I want everyone to please stand. And I want us to raise the roof. And you said, you want us to raise the roof after we have been in sessions all day long? But I want you to lift up your hands. And I want you to say, with these hands. hands. Say it a little bit louder. With these hands. hands. And with this heart. And with this mind. mind, I I can can do anything. With these hands, with this heart, with this mind, I can do anything. One more time. With these hands, with this heart, with this mind, I can do anything. Go out and change the world.